It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins Podcast. Hope you had a good weekend and enjoyed the beginning of spring training. Marlins off to a 2-0 start. Of course, spring training doesn't matter unless your team is winning. So right now, spring training really matters, and the Marlins are really good. That's how we're going to play it for now until they start losing. But there has been a lot besides just the win-loss column. So much to take away from those first two games, especially with the young guys. There's just so much to be excited about. We got a little bit of a taste of what the future could entail, and it makes me want more. I don't know about you guys, but now I just want more and more. I want these guys up in the bigs already, and some of them might be. I mean, Monty Harrison looked incredible in that first uh, appearance he made, not just with hitting, you know, drove the ball right back up the middle, looked comfortable at the plate, much different than he looked last year in spring training, but also the fact that he swiped two bags with without hesitation, looked really comfortable. He looked like a major leaguer. He blended right in because sometimes in spring training, you can see the guys that are minor leaguers uh, that are in over their head a little bit, but Monte Harrison's ready to go. I think he, he can really make a push for a spot in this opening day roster, and that's going to be a cool little thing to watch as spring training progresses. Jazz Chisholm also, he was the one I was more fascinated to watch because he's a little further off from being Major League ready, ready, though he's not far away, and he looked comfortable as well and really looked solid at the plate, didn't look overmatched. It's beyond just getting the base hits too. It's the way they're taking pitches. Are they chasing? How do they look out there? Does the game look fast to them? And for me, the game didn't look fast for either Monte Harrison or Jazz Chisholm or Lewin Diaz. All of them, all of the above, looked very comfortable. The game did not look too fast for them. And that's going to be interesting to see how it progresses forward, as I expect the Marlins are going to want to mix them in more with the first team, quote-unquote, with more of those major league talent pitchers and players that they'll be going against rather than the late substitution where they're facing more of the typical minor leaguers that they'll face. That's going to be the real test, I think, and that's where we'll get to really gauge how ready they are, and that's something that we will find out in the near future. So this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, a little bit about the roster implications if some of these young guys continue to push, and then earlier today, Keith Law's Top 100 came out. (laughs) He's definitely... Beats to his own drum. I think that goes without being said. But this time it was very generous in the Marlins' favor in terms of his prospects' rankings. He put six Marlins in his rankings, and some of them just incredibly high, with Jazz Chisholm as high as 15. So I'll go into that a little bit, and then I'll wrap up with a little preview into what the Marlins could potentially do with their number three pick in this upcoming draft. I have a lot of background on these guys surprisingly um was able to see a lot of them this past year i guess unsurprisingly broadcasting play-by-play in the cape cod league but it's just funny how it worked out where some of the guys i saw the most of are potential options for the marlins at the number three pick spencer torkelson one of them who I saw a lot, Nick Gonzalez, I saw the most, given that I did play by called play by play for the team he played for. Uh, but I also have a lot of information on Austin Martin, and I'm a little bit more in the dark on Emerson Hancock, but he's pretty much 
you know everything you need to know about that guy, but I'll go into a little bit more on him too. That'll be at the end. So for now, I want to start with Keith Law's top 100. Very interesting. Uh, going through one through six, Jazz Chisholm was 15, Edward Cabrera 34, Sixto Sanchez a little lower at 49, Braxton Garrett might have been the biggest surprise besides Jazz at 15, Braxton at 62, JJ Bladé at 68, and Jesus Sanchez rounding it out for the Marlins at 83 in Keith Law's top 100. Obviously, anytime a Marlins prospect is ranked high, that's something to be excited about. Keith Law has been doing this a long time, and his vote of confidence, while it doesn't mean everything, it does mean something. At the same time, you got to take his rankings with a grain of salt. Does this mean Jazz Chisholm is a can't-miss all-star that will be a perennial superstar? No. Can he? Maybe. But Keith Law is obviously not the end-all, be-all. Eli Sussman um, from Fish Stripes pointed out earlier today to me, which I think is a pretty funny thing to look back on. Keith Law last year had Will Stewart rated ahead of Sandy Alcantara going into the regular season. Obviously, those two players trended in very opposite directions. Will Stewart struggled in the minor leagues. Sandy Alcantara was a major league all-star. So that's just a little example of how hard it is to predict these guys and I think that's something that you have to put into your thought process when you're considering some of these rankings that being said this is a list that just continues to reflect how much the Marlins have improved that farm system and the fact that which I'm going to talk about later the Marlins are going to get a number three pick and no matter who it is if it's Torkelson Hancock Gonzalez or Martin they will be a top 100 prospect that you just add to the list as well. So they're only going to get better. Monte Harrison, not even in that top 100, and he's pushing for a major league spot this coming year and looks really good. Lewin Diaz not in that top 100. He's a fringe top 100 guy as well. So there's a lot of potential throughout this Marlins system, and I, I just can't wait to see how it continues to develop in front of our eyes and spring training is the big point where we're going to gauge on a lot of these guys so Keith Law very high on the Marlins system which surprised me when I saw that list come out I'm like oh gosh what did he have to say about the Marlins prospects how low is he going to have some of these players I liked how high he had Edward Cabrera to me I think Edward Cabrera and Sixto Sanchez are interchangeable that might be an unpopular opinion. Keith Law clearly thinks that Edward Cabrera has a higher ceiling than Sixto. I don't know about that. It's possible. I think the strikeout stuff that Edward Cabrera boasts is more impressive, I guess, than Sixto Sanchez. He's been able to just strike out batters at a better rate than Sixto, which I think makes his ceiling a little bit higher. The strikeouts were a little bit of an issue for Sixto. Not, I wouldn't even say an issue. They just weren't as off the charts as you would hope. They were just slightly above average, while Edward Cabrera's in double A, he honed in on his command and also really honed in on his ability to punch batters out. So I can understand the Edward ahead of Sixto, though I would still keep Sixto probably a little bit higher than Cabrera as of now, just given the fact that he's more advanced and more polished and more major league ready. But Keith Law tends to lean towards the higher ceiling players and does not consider volatility, I don't think, as much, which is evident with the Jazz Chisholm at 15. I think he weighs the 
ceiling more than the floor, which is fine. But for me, Sixto's higher floor is going to probably put him ahead of Edward for now for me. But to me, they're very interchangeable. They're right there back and forth. And I do like Edward's higher ceiling in terms of the two players. Braxton Garrett, it was so nice to finally see this guy get some love. He just put up a phenomenal season. I will talk about all these guys, too, in the future on the prospect preview, so I'm not going to get too far into them as I continue the prospect preview series, which is still in the teens. Obviously, they'll be later towards the end of the series as all of these guys are the top six prospects for the Marlins or so. But Garrett just, I thought, was criminally underrated throughout the time that we had a lot of these prospect lists coming out. He really wasn't getting much love and I don't really know why. He was a first-round pick. He ended up missing a lot of time with Tommy John surgery, but that's no reason to just pull him off all of the top 100 lists. He was a first-round pick for a reason. He has great stuff, good command of the fastball, and a plus breaking ball, maybe the best breaking ball or one of the best breaking balls in the Marlins farm system, and I can attest to that firsthand having faced Braxton Garrett in high school in a national summer ball tournament he was just dominant in that game had tons of pro scouts and that was way before he was draft eligible punched me out on a really tough 3-2 pitch and I knew right away that he was going to be a guy that probably doesn't go to college he was committed to Vanderbilt at the time and sure enough two years later he gets drafted by the Marlins and I was thrilled with that pick having seen how good he is firsthand so Braxton Garrett I'm very excited about in terms of what he will continue to do this year and people forget that he missed an entire season so he's still very young in terms of experience in professional baseball and never even pitched in college so he just continues to improve before our eyes but day at 68 sounds about right he hasn't shown much yet because he only played that portion of the season last year but the fact that he played in high a was very encouraging and then sanchez at 83 i agree with as well because he has not put the numbers there yet the tools are there the bat speed is there he just punishes the baseball but the launch angle and the consistent power continues to be the question for him and the marlins are hoping that he can put that together this year the rays clearly did not totally think that he could put it together evident by the fact that they were willing to trade him for a spot starter and a high leverage reliever so that is a little bit discouraging but at the same time teams give up on prospects a little too early all the time I wouldn't even say the Rays gave up on him because clearly they got a good return with how good Nick Anderson was but the Rays aren't going to be willing to part with a prospect that they know is going to turn into a superstar so Jesus Sanchez definitely a little volatile but the tools are there. He just punishes the baseball with his elite bat speed. So what's we'll see how he does in AAA this coming season and how much action he'll get in spring training this year. Now on the other side of the break, I will talk about the potential of what Marlins could make a push for an early call-up, and then I'll wrap it up with some draft coverage for who the Marlins can take at number three. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Marlins is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Marlins fans just like you. 
Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Miami Marlins fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Marlins podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com backslash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com backslash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but it's something worth thinking about in terms of what the Marlins are going to do in the future with some of the players now on the roster being pushed by some of the prospects that are close to Major League Ready. It might be a decision that the Marlins have to make sooner rather than later, which is a good problem to have. I just really was thinking about it now as I watched these spring training games the last couple days that there's a chance that they could push a little faster than the Marlins anticipated, which is not an issue. But at the same time, the Marlins have to consider some things. So Monte Harrison, he makes the team in opening day, let's say, hypothetically. Who does he get his at-bats from? That's the big question. If he makes the team, does Garrett Cooper see his at-bats slashed even more, which we don't even know how many at-bats or how many games to anticipate he plays in this year? If Aizen Diaz is struggling, do you then move VR into the infield and start Cooper and Monte Harrison in the outfield? What if Lewin Diaz makes a push towards a few months into the season? Then if Aguilar is struggling, then your question's answered there. Lewin Diaz turns into the everyday first baseman. But what if Aguilar is not struggling? Then do you platoon at first? There's going to be a lot of cool decisions fun issues because it's not really a problem could be a good problem that the Marlins might have to make which I'm looking forward to but now on to the draft options for the Marlins at three I will talk about this a lot more in the future there will probably be full episodes dedicated to this when the draft gets closer but I want to give a little preview so those of you who like to enjoy college baseball know who to follow and who to keep up with in terms of who the Marlins can select. For me, it's a three-and-a-half-man race. And I say in a half because Nick Gonzalez is now catapulting himself into consideration. But for now, it's still a three-man race between Spencer Torkelson, Emerson Hancock, and Austin Martin. Those three players have been the three top players in their class for some time now. It's perfect for the Marlins because the top four prospects are all advanced collegiate players that will rise through the system quickly and fits their timeline very well rather than a Connor Scott type of high schooler where you have to wait for a while to see how they will develop. Of course, there's no such thing as a can't-miss prospect, but to me, these top four are as close to that as you're going to find and around the range of Andrew Vaughn last year where you knew you're just going to get a player that has an elite hit tool that will translate to the professional level. So I'll start now with Spencer Torkelson. We've been talking about Torkelson for some time now. The tank for Torque hashtag has been a thing for some time now. He has been the best hitter 
in college baseball arguably for some time now and has projected to be a top pick for some time now. So there's no surprise that if he's there for the Marlins, he's probably the best option given the fact that he just has a phenomenal hit tool, boasts plus power, has hit in every area that he has played, whether it's at Arizona State, whether it's in the Cape League, whether it's for Team USA, just continues to show that he is a baseball player, point blank. And I had an opportunity to watch him play in the Cape. He stopped by before going to Team USA for the Chatham Anglers. And he just, the way to describe it is you could just see the difference between him and everybody else on the field. You could see the fear in the pitchers that faced him so afraid to make a mistake because they knew that he would punish it. He doesn't see a lot of pitches to hit in college or in summer ball or wherever he plays because everybody knows how good he is. And he gets that one pitch, that one pitch that he has a chance to hit, and he rarely misses it, rarely fouls it off, and he makes the most of it. And that's why he is so good. That is the thing about Spencer Torkelson. He has such an advanced approach. He has a little bit of an unorthodox swing, a two-handed finish that reminds me a little bit of Mike Trout, just a short path, really quick through the ball, two-hand finish. Of course, I'm not saying he's going to be Mike Trout, but it's a very unusual two-handed quick short swing. It stays through the zone for a long time, and it's very repeatable, and that's what really impressed me about Torkelson. The key for him is going to be as he anchored to first base his whole career. He's been trying to take ground balls, fly balls in the outfield. He's been trying to see if he can improve his glove in that regard. But ultimately, it all comes down to the bat. If he hits as well as he shows he can, it doesn't matter where he plays. He'll be valuable no matter what. So for me, a best case scenario is Spencer Torkelson, given the state of the Marlins system and what they could use I do really like Emerson Hancock. I just do not think there's a chance he'll be there. If there is a little bit of a slip with injury issues, a little bit of a regression in terms of his pitching this year, then that could be a monumental pickup for the Marlins. Hancock, I have not seen play in person, but the stuff that he boasts looks a little bit along the lines of Casey Mize. If the Marlins could get a pitcher like Casey Mize at number three, That would just be unbelievable. Instantly a top 50 prospect if the Marlins add him, if he falls to number three. But like I said, I just don't see that happening. If it does, that would be a reason to celebrate for the Marlins. He has a plus 90s fastball, good command, polished pitcher. For him, obviously, the hope is to stay healthy, and the hope is that he can continue to advance. Only 20 years old, and he'll probably be close to 21 by the time he's draft eligible. But one of the rare, very projectable college arms that you'll see go at the top, typically those arms that are that projectable and that high of a ceiling you see out of high school, but that's why I like the Casey Mize comp so much from him. Really interesting to follow him on the entire year and see if he is that unanimous 1-1 pick or if he slips a little bit and the Marlins get a crack at him. Assuming it goes 1-2 Torque Hancock, it's early, but that looks like that's the most likely scenario. That would leave the Marlins with the probably most obvious pick of Austin Martin. Austin Martin is a middle infielder, not 
typically just set at shortstop for now. Not sure if he's totally going to play there all the time. Vanderbilt doesn't stick him there all the time, but that's because they have so many talented middle infielders. He plays second base a lot and can play third base as well, has the arm to carry anywhere, which is the really positive thing about Austin Martin. He has hit every year in the SEC, which is just impressive. 392 last year against some of the best pitching in the country. That is something to be proud of of your Austin Martin and something to excite the Marlins. 10 home runs. He can tap into the power a little bit. I, I wouldn't say he has above average raw power, might be even slightly below average raw power, but the fact that he can still tap into it and I maximize the ability to put the ball out of the yard given the fact that he does not have that advanced power is something that has to be encouraging for scouts to see and has to be something that teams like in a player like Austin Martin, very polished, maybe one of the best hit tools in all of college baseball And like I said, the glove to be able to move anywhere from second base to shortstop if he can't stick to short or even third base, though I think the power is a little light to play the hot corner. This year is going to be key for me because I want to see how he adjusts without J.J. Bleday behind him in the lineup. That was the number one offense in all of college baseball last year. So batting leadoff in that lineup, teams were going right after Austin Martin. I'm not trying to discount his numbers because at the end of the day, you still got to hit that baseball. But for Austin Martin, they were trying to get him out so that they didn't have to deal with J.J. Bleday and some other players with runners on base because that team, that Vanderbilt team, that national championship team had over 100 home runs as a team and just really a tough offense to get out, largely due to Austin Martin setting the table, but also because of the fact that they boasted elite power in the middle of their order, even towards the back of their order. Marlins 39th round pick Julian Infante even had double digit home runs. So that was just an unbelievable lineup. So keep up with Austin Martin. I'm going to obviously keep giving updates on him. I want to continue to see how he develops at the plate in terms of the power he might be able to produce because I'd like to see a little bit more juice from him, but the hit tool, 392 in the SEC, just unbelievable. But if we're going to talk about hit tool, I'm a little biased here, and this is my disclaimer off the top. Nick Gonzalez is one of my favorite players in all of college baseball. I got to watch him day in and day out in Katuit in the Cape Cod League. He won Cape Cod Player of the Year last year, and maybe one of the most polished college hitters I have ever seen. Again, I'm a little bit biased because I really like this guy. Just a really impressive work ethic. Every time I got to the field early to get ready for preparing for the games, getting ready to call the games, I would get there sometimes before most of the players, and Nick Gonzalez would always beat everybody there. That's just the way he is. And the fact that he was a walk-on at New Mexico State and continues to just put up these unbelievable numbers is just I I can't even get into how incredible his numbers are. The fact that he hit 432 as a sophomore, 16 home runs, 80 RBIs, that is just incredible. But the question is, of course, he's facing whack pitching. Not whack as in bad, like WAC, that's the conference, and it's not very good pitching either way. And a high altitude at New Mexico State is a culmination of things to be like, okay, yeah, those numbers are inflated. So when he got to the Cape, 
that was something I was very eager to see. How well was he going to hit with a wood bat this time, not at altitude, and against some of the best pitchers in the country? Well, he answered that question very, very easily by winning the Cape League MVP, hitting 351, hitting seven home runs, and slugging 630 at one point, dating back to the regular season with New Mexico State. He had reached base in over 60 consecutive games, the longest streak in the Cape League that year too, just counting the Cape games. And then now starting his junior year, he's off to somehow an even better start. He's hitting 567 through eight games with already seven home runs. And he hit for the cycle the other day with two home runs. So again, not facing top level competition. So you got to take the numbers a little bit with a grain of salt. But then when you look at the numbers he put up in the Cape and you consider the fact that he's not getting any pitches to hit too, he's doing this with maybe one or two pitches to hit a game. He's swinging out of the zone sometimes just to get a base hit. That's how good his hit tool is. He's a really disciplined hitter at the same time, though. He's walked 33% of the time this year. Pitchers don't want to face him, yet he's somehow still hitting for the cycle and hitting seven home runs because at some point they have to throw a pitch to him. So obviously I'm still leaning towards Austin Martin given the fact that he's a better athlete, can play multiple positions. Nick Gonzalez right now, he's limited to second base with his average arm strength. He's an average defender but you have to expect him to stick at second base. That being said, he has some comps to Keston Hira, who is already looking like a budding star in the major leagues and was phenomenal throughout the minor leagues, has similar statistics to him going through a small school, continuing to just be consistent small guy that has surprising pop and a really good hit tool. So at what point, though, does Nick Gonzalez just put such absurd numbers up that you have to consider him at three. That's going to be the big question that we have to weigh because Austin Martin right now, better prospect, better athlete, better arm. He is the safer pick at three. But if Gonzalez continues to just mash the ball and he finishes this year with a four-something batting average with 20-something home runs and continues to show that he can just mash the ball nonstop – Do we consider him at some point? If Austin Martin regresses a little bit, do you consider Nick Gonzalez? I think at some point you got to think about it. So this is going to be cool to watch these four guys. I think with Torkelson and Hancock, if they're there, it's a no-brainer. As of now, Austin Martin is probably the answer at three. But let's keep watching Nick Gonzalez because I know he has the major league makeup. I know he has the just ability, the sheer ability to hit the baseball with a wood bat. We haven't seen Austin Martin in the Cape. That's another thing too. I'm not going to discount him for that because he put up the numbers in the SEC. So it kind of levels it out, but I would have loved to have seen Austin Martin hit with a wood bat given his plus hit tool. I don't think that'll be a problem for him. So right now, Austin Martin seems like the most likely pick at three. It's really early drafts, not till June, but let's keep an eye on Nick Gonzalez. I, like I said, I'm a little biased, But the way he just hits the ball, let's see how he continues to develop. The Marlins might have a tough decision to make in the coming months as the draft gets closer. Someone might catapult into the top four. But for now, I think it's a four-man race between those guys. I will continue the draft coverage as it gets closer and closer. And there will be a lot more prospect previews coming forward and more content 
as we get closer to MLB and Marlins opening day. I hope you are enjoying spring training as it continues. We will have more coverage from that too in the coming episodes. Thanks for listening. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 